0: Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, where we have mental health conversations with transparency. I am recording today from home as we are all still abiding by safer at home orders. When you are finished listening to this episode, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Reviews are everything. So today I have on a very special and unique guest. Uh, Her name is Carissa Rund, and she is a super survivor, a speaker, and a storyteller. She feels uniquely suited to talk about suffering and overcoming darkness. Because of her life, she has had more of her share of tragedy. Her mother died of breast cancer when Krista was just 11 years old. She survived the Columbine shooting as a high school freshman. When she was 20, she became a war widow when her husband and high school sweetheart was killed in action in Iraq. At 31, she was diagnosed with terminal stage four cancer. Carissa was educated in journalism at the University of Colorado at Boulder. She's been in public relations at Georgetown University, and, in biz- and she has a business degree from the University of Colorado at Denver, and a degree in theology from the Denver Seminary. In addition to fighting for her life, Carissa is also currently co-authoring an as-of-yet-untitled novel about her one-in-a-trillion life. She's married to Doug, her first husband's brother. Welcome, Carissa. That's
1: right. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you on. I thought, you know, a couple of months ago, you and I spoke, mm-hmm. and little did we know what was going to be happening in the world. So, today, as we are talking, we are in a pandemic. We are also in an economic recession. We are hearing numbers every day of thousands, tens of thousands of people dying in our country and around the world. And we know that anxiety and depression um, are up really high, 30% at least. So there's a lot of, I'd say, collective trauma and collective suffering that's happening right now. So the timing of this conversation, I don't think could be any better. Clearly you have a life story of trauma, of loss, cancer, uncertainty. And people like to talk about resilience and grit throughout these times. And so I'm curious if you can share with me where and how did you get clearly those traits of resiliency and grit? And you talk about suffering well. Can you talk to me about what that really means for you?
1: It's an interesting question because I think to some degree, we were all born survivors in the sense that we all have this will to live deep inside of us. That's part of our human experience. And I think so. I think I'm not unique in some ways in that. But what it is, is like you have this will to survive. But how are you going to survive? What's your life going to look like? Are you really going to live? Are you going to work through your stuff, work on finding joy, try to find peace? Or are you just going to live broken? And I think that you can choose uh, your attitude. You can choose to find that peace. And for me, at Columbine, there was a bomb that was right next to me that was supposed to detonate um and it would have blown me to bed it's me and hundreds of other kids in the cafeteria and that's always given me the sense that i was supposed to be here so when stuff has happened to me traumatic things have happened to me uh, that's one of the things i've gone back to but i'm supposed to be here i'm supposed to be here i'm here for a reason i also believe that's an assurance that we can all have And, you know, I've been learning about resilience and grit, studying it from an intellectual perspective, from a sociological perspective. And one of the things that I've learned is that we can all learn it. Now, the good news is that we can all learn it. The bad news is that it's very hard to learn it without having gone through an experience that strengthens you, right? Because it's like a muscle. You're not going to strengthen the muscle unless you have a tension on it. So we can learn it. And to me, um, you know, one big foundational piece of this for me, was reading years ago in my early 20s, Man's Search for Meaning, which is a novel by Viktor Frankl. Uh, You probably know it. Um, It's very, very famous and well regarded. And it made a huge difference for me. So uh, for those of of your listeners who are not familiar, um, Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist who was put in a Nazi internment camp and survived. So he writes a book later about what he observed. One of his big observations he gets from a personal experience where he's walking on essentially a death march with other prisoners and his mind wanders off and he thinks about his wife. He thinks about them cooking in the kitchen and he realizes through that, that even though he couldn't control anything about his circumstance, you know, he was depriving of being deprived of food and water and, everything you can imagine being treated horribly, but he could still choose his attitude. He could still choose his thoughts. If he still could choose his thoughts, he could still choose his attitude. So for me, that was like, okay, I've, I've experienced so much trauma and so much suffering, but I still have a choice, regardless of what happened to me, that I can still react how I want. And so that was really, really huge for me. And I think that's a huge part of of suffering well is learning that that suffering does have things to teach us and what specifically our suffering has to teach us and to hopefully move forward over time, over a lot of time probably in bravery and be able to say loving is hard, but I'm going to do it again. Life is hard, but I'm going to do it again. And to be able to, to choose that. And we may not be able to choose our circumstances, what family we were born to, uh, you know, what tragedies came our way who we lost but every day we can choose our attitude and we can choose hope and that's for me like a theory but it is a day-to-day discipline especially during covid of how do i choose hope in the midst of this very difficult circumstance and it's a hard battle some days but i think it's really important and if if we don't have hope what's what's life for you know you need hope to make life worth living so it's really a worthwhile
0: battle. Sure. So you you feel like you have this uh, deep spiritual connection with God? Can you talk about that? You actually even said something like there was a bomb next to me during Columbine that should have detonated, uh, but it didn't. So I believe that I'm here. So I have a kind of a twofold question, which is: So do you believe that the people that were lost that day, their time here was done, was through? Can you also talk about times where you have felt left down, let down or forgotten by God and how you've gotten through those times?
1: Well, I've been thinking about this a lot for myself. As you know, I have stage four cancer. I've been given a terminal diagnosis and I have an 8% chance of survival. I've gotten pretty far on that. I'm almost five years in, so I'm hopeful, but I don't know if if it will take my life. What I do know is that while I'm here, I have important things to do and I have hope to share and that we all know that we're here for a reason. If we're still breathing, we're here for a reason. And the the latter part of your question, this connection with God, growing up, you know, I was raised in a Christian household, but a lot of things weren't really explained to me. And so I just sort of grew up with this idea of like, you just believe. And it was like uh, something that wasn't really explained to me. So I, when my mom died, when I was 11 of cancer, uh, we were told that if we believed enough, she would be healed. And that's not what happened. So I thought, God is distant, a jerk, doesn't care about me, uh, all these things. But I was sort of content to continue to go to church and things like that. And then when my husband was killed when I was 20 and he was 21, then it was like, okay, God, you hate me it's very clear to me what's going on here. And, you know, we're done. An interesting thing happened, which is that over time, there was, you know, so much grief, more tears than you can imagine. And over time, it's like, God kind of won me back. Something made a big difference for me was reading the story of Lazarus. Lazarus died, and then Jesus brought him back to life. But what's There's so many incredible pieces of that. There's two verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. So I was like, okay, Jesus feels for people, right? He doesn't, he's not just separate. He feels that pain. He didn't want this to happen. He is sad for me that, that Greg died. And more than that, he's also made a way to bring him back to life. And I don't get to see that now, but I will get to see that later. And Then I just started reflecting on he's given me this place that's free from all of these things that have tormented my life. There will be no shootings, no war, no cancer in this place. And But what makes this place so beautiful is not just the absence of things, but what it possesses, which is the very person of God there. The person that loves you the most, who made you is there and what could be more peaceful than that? What could be more beautiful? What could be more joyful? I'm on this spiritual quest to answer some of these deep questions for myself. And even with COVID, I went through a time where I was really afraid because they said, if you have a terminal disease, there was guidance to hospitals that if you needed a respirator and there was a shortage, you wouldn't get one. So I, as a stage four cancer survivor, I was really afraid and then I thought, well, if I, if I really believe this, then I have to believe the, the tenets of my faith. And I have to believe that no matter what, I will be okay. If I am healed here, I will be okay. If I'm not being whole and healed until heaven, I will be okay. Um, but if I'm wrong, I want to know it. And that's what the spiritual quest is about. So I'm reading, I'm in theology school, I'm studying things like, uh, the evidence for creator, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, studying different religions, asking these tough questions about suffering, the nature of evil. I mean, I'm really getting in there um, because I'm interested in finding out, you know, where we came from, why we're here and where we're going.
0: It, it is interesting. You ha- you've touched on a couple different things from spirituality to your belief to loss. There's a lot there. One of the things that I thought when we first spoke was that I was going to talk to you about how to be a good friend, a good supporter to someone who's going through cancer. And I know you you have just so much to talk about, but, you know, you lost your mom at a young age to cancer. Then you were diagnosed with yourself. I, I'm just curious, how do you think, because this does come up, especially for people that are of my age, middle-aged people, where all of a sudden... I know a couple of people who have either had cancer, survived cancer, Mm -hmm. um, are currently going through it. They've got young kids Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: I always think, how can I be, um, of best service to them and supportive to them and not say the wrong thing, which I have before I'm sure, or, you know, how can I say better things? So do you have guidance to, to us, um, around that and even maybe someone going through grief, how to be there for someone who's going through grief as well.
1: Yeah. First of all, I so appreciate your heart behind that and people who want to be there for their friends. I know so many people have had their friends just run their husbands, their wives. I mean, this is hard. It's hard to walk through this with somebody. So I just, I so appreciate that you want to be there for people. Um, And I think that it is hard. I mean, coming from the experience of being on one side of it when my mom was sick and being on the other side as I've been sick, um, I do feel like I've learned some things that I hope, you know, can be helpful for people. And I think the biggest thing is there's a huge, huge comfort in just their presence. So it's like, just be there, just be there. And I, as much as I've been through, I still don't know what to say sometimes because life is hard and in these dark dark moments it's natural not to know what to say but i think that if you're present and if someone like me the sufferer can say i know you're doing your best people have always haven't always said the greatest things to me but i've gotten to the point where i can see their intention was to was to comfort me was to serve me and so i'm not going to be grudged you know, they're, uh, they like clumsy response, right? It's, it's hard to know what to say. And these, it's because it relates to these deep questions of meaning in life and disease and death and all those things. Those are hard things to wrestle with. So I think that, you know, to be, to be present, um, to know, uh, as, as someone who's going through it, that someone else is sharing my burden, that they care enough to be there is incredibly encouraging in and of itself. I mean, I can't imagine going in the hospital and just having no one there. I know, you know, it's a little bit tricky in COVID times, but still sending messages and things like that is just so important. In terms of just really practical, I've realized I kind of honed in on what people are good at, what they want to do. Like, I'm gonna, not going to ask my friend who doesn't cook to like be on the meal train, but she might come and I've been in such bad shape because I've had eight surgeries So, but that same person might be totally fine with showering me and, you know, washing my hair and a different person might not want to do that, but they can drive me somewhere, you know? So just saying, okay, here's what I need, but like, what would you like to do? Have it be more of a collaborative because then they'll feel more comfortable and then they won't be kind of forced into this role they don't want to have. Then that's not going to serve really either of you. Also, I feel like there's an encouragement for people here because I know, that helping others can be a pain. I know that I've been a pain to help. I know that I've felt the pain when I'm helping somebody else. But, you know, helping people as they suffer will make you a kinder, more empathetic person.
0: My takeaway so far is like uh, just show up, right? Have good intentions. Uh, if you don't know what to say, Maybe you say, I don't know what to say, but I want to sit here with you. Um, Perfect. Yeah. You know, something that just really it's about showing up. There are no perfect words. There are no magic words. There probably isn't going to be anything you could say that is going to change the circumstance, but your presence and your intention are what's important.
1: Absolutely. That's exactly right.
0: Okay. Thank you. So let's talk about grief. Um, In addition to having lost your mother, you're, you're also a widow. So talk about your thoughts and experiences around loss, grief, and still finding joy and how you do that without guilt.
1: So the losses that I've experienced have all been very, very different, but I'll say with my husband, the grief was just incredible. And, you know, in a war, obviously you don't, you know that they're in a threatening situation, but, you know, it just happens very suddenly and you're hoping that they'll be fine and I remember just, you know, going to bed at three or four in the morning, finally just collapsing, just from exhaustion, sleeping a few hours. My shirt would be wet because I would, I wouldn't stop the tears anymore because it was like, what's the point? So it would get wet all here, And I, I grieved intensely. And in those moments, you're not sure if you're ever going to get out. Are you ever going to dry out? You know, and it can take a lot, a lot of time, but there can be joy on the other side of suffering there can be peace on the other side of suffering you can even find a a deeper happiness a deeper peace than you could otherwise without the suffering because there's just a depth that you have when you experience the pain that's hard to access without it and i think gratitude is something I, i realized i had been practicing gratitude for a good part of my life i just didn't call it that and and now it's like you know something that people do as a practice. And I think that's really great. Um, But just, you know, that no matter what is happening in your life, there is still good that you can find. And even when your life is really bad, you can find gratitude in just living, just the fact that you're still living. I mean, uh, I've been reading literature on this. Philosophers over many centuries have talked about this. In the end, we all realize that a difficult life, is still preferable to no life at all. So if you're not, if you can't find anything, then to be grateful for it, even that day, then you are still alive. You must be think these things. So you can be grateful for that. But I do believe that in the darkest times, light always finds a way in, and then whether it be in the smallest craft, um, and there's always hope. And I, I'm grateful to God because he's given me this life, uh, the, the privilege and the gift of life. I think suffering, also, or choosing to suffer well, um, can can lead to that piece, you know, um, that I've experienced. And uh, regarding the survivor's guilt piece, I've personally never really had survivor's guilt specifically, but our, our, a lot of the um, the kids did at Columbine. But I, I do understand, and I I understand those moments for sure when you like smile when someone has just died and you like have your first smile your first laugh and you're like is that okay and you know my husband loved people so much he was so funny just ridiculous and pretty inappropriate and hilarious and so he would want me to smile I know for sure you know, what would you want for somebody? If I passed, I would want somebody else to have joy and I would want them to smile. So just kind of trying to see that from their perspective. I mean, if they really loved you, they would want you to be happy again and they would want you to grieve. Yes, because that's what you need to be healthy, but they would also want you to find happiness and joy. And I think that that principle can, can guide us even after they pass.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, you're talking, and I'm in sort of this deep thought around that survivor's guilt. And I'm glad that you ha- didn't experience that. I know so many people experience that. And uh, lately, I feel like there's also been conversations around just even, let's say, during COVID, you know, people saying if they complain about quarantine or having their kids all day, then there's this piece of like, but it could be worse. But I could be, you know, I could be sick. I could be in a hospital. I could be on a ventilator. I could have lost a parent and I didn't. And so then we also downplay our own experiences because we have that, you know, that feeling of like, I'm not allowed to complain. And I wonder if, if people around you have that, do you notice? That? Oh, yeah, that?
1: <laughs> all the time, all the time. So I, I mean, for me and I do, I do this to myself and, and other people compare themselves to me. I think that there is a degree to which it's helpful for some perspective. Like, okay, it could be worse, right? Because it's actually kind of a, a way to think of gratitude. Like, I'm grateful that I actually do have this even because it could be like this. But it, it does get to a point where it's life and unhealthy where you're like comparing yourself to other people and then you're not acknowledging your own pain and you're not giving yourself the... The space for it. And so, yeah, people do this to me all the time. This and that is going on in my life. I'm really upset about this. But, oh, like, sorry, you have cancer. Like, that's nothing to you. I shouldn't even be complaining about it. And so, I kind of have to coach some of my friends like, it's okay. You're still allowed to have difficulties in your own life. Just because mine is hard right now doesn't mean that yours is not allowed to be hard. And this is still stuff you're dealing with personally. Um, and I want to be there for you. Like, don't shut down so that I, as your friend, don't have an opportunity to try to help you through that, to listen to you, to be, you know, someone who can comfort you, hopefully. And I'm also like, let me use all this crap, like all this pain, all this stuff I've been through. Like, I want to use it to help you. Like, please tell me what's going on.
0: That's a good perspective. Um, yeah. To say, say back to somebody, because I find, I hear things like that on both ends, whether it's to me or just around me, that feeling of, I think, particularly women that, you know, want to complain about something and then they like stop dead in their tracks and realize, oh wait, I guess I don't have really have a right to say that, you know, and then they, they take it back. Yeah. It's like you have every right, you
1: know? Yeah. And and you know what? There's always going to be somebody who has it worse. Always. Right right? Like I'm in between surgeries. Hopefully I won't have another one, but I've had eight surgeries, cancer, all this other stuff, but you know, I'm not starving today. That's nice. So right. it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of um, a, an exercise in guilt that we really don't need. I don't think any of us.
0: Right. I think you're a a good living example of the power of gratitude, the power of mindset, of positive mindset of Uh, Surrounding yourself with positivity. I guess the last question I I have for you touches on uh, trauma. And so you are a Columbine survivor. That was a school shooting before school shootings. I mean, I'll never forget where I was, what I was doing the day of Columbine. It tragically rocked our nation like never before. Nobody ever dreamed this could happen So do you still today, do you experience trauma symptoms and is there anything that has helped or not been helpful since then?
1: First of all, I agree. Um, No one ever expected it. And for me, because I had already known that life was hard and that people died when they shouldn't, for me, I was shocked but not surprised. So I had a little bit of a different reaction, I think, um, at the time even, But it's a lot of trauma knowing that, you know, there were other students who tried to kill you when you were totally vulnerable, that you, out of all the people and all the places were were there, right? Yeah, just something we couldn't have imagined. Um, For me, in the moment, and then I'll tell you about kind of dealing with the after effects, you know, in the moment I was in the cafeteria and I, as I was running, my sister fell behind me. And so I had to make a decision. The door and the way out was closer to me than she was to me. So I had to make a decision. Should I run and get out or should I go back and get her toward the shooters? And then I heard this voice. It was an audible voice it Said, don't be afraid. And. I felt this overwhelming sense of peace that I've never had before and never have had since. Um, and I knew that I was going to be okay. That um, if, if I went to get my sister, that we would get out and, and that's what happened. I went back to get her and, and we got out. So, you know, comparison can be helpful in the sense that I, the gratitude piece where I was like, well, I could have died. I could have been injured. I could have been stuck there for many hours, but I still had, A lot of trauma. I think probably one of the sort of dregs of that that I still have is that I'm not comfortable with my back to the door. They came in behind me and I couldn't see them and you know just kind of heard the shots and I know a lot of kids I still wear kids I still call them kids I still call myself a kid back then you know kids um, still have that issue where you just don't feel safe and comfortable and uh, I don't do it all the time anymore, but like looking for the exits and, um, I don't know, you're a counselor. You should tell me I've kind of gotten to a point where I'm like, that's not so bad. I'll just try to sit in where the places I feel comfortable, but I do feel strongly that as much as there is evil in the world, there is much more good. There are people choosing good every day. So it, it didn't give me this, um, this view of humanity where they then thought everybody was, everybody was bad. You know, what, what has helped is community too. I remember um, afterwards and you probably remember this too. I mean, call mine. I can talk to somebody from anywhere in the world and they know probably where they were and what it was like. And um, we got those cards from all over the world and I typed them out in my typing class. you know, thank you letters and gifts from all over the world. So as, as much as I felt like there was bad there was still so much good and so much love in those moments.
0: Um, I think it's but- good for you to to share that piece because as we um before us on you know tv and on me- social media and things see these horrendous tragedies like parkland and other things that have happened of course sandy hook which is unimaginable. I do always wonder do all do all of these teddy bears and flowers and cards does this mean something to somebody who's going through such a horrendous tragedy? And so, um, it's good to hear from you that, yes, it did. It does make a difference. It validates that there's still good in the world.
1: Yes. And that you're not alone,
0: that you're not Someone's alone
1: there to share your burden. Mm-hmm.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your truth. And, um, I wish you the absolute best in staying positive and having all the best health come to you.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch. Please rate and review this episode and share with anyone who you think would benefit from it. To stay connected, please subscribe. Episodes are released every two weeks.